In 2016, Aotearoa lost visionary artist and teacher Rewi Thompson. Too young, one would say, aged 62. But as an innovative new book, Rewi, Ataharie Kiatere reveals, Thompson's legacy lives on not only in buildings and public projects, but also in his drawings and his teachings, which are all collected together in its pages. Of Ngāti Pirou and Ngāti Rokawa descent, Rewi's work is noted for its careful consideration of people and place across its civic and social and private projects. Beginning in the 1980s, Rewi's celebrated public projects that you might know include the Pōniki Wellington City to Sea Bridge with Pāda Matchett and others, the bold Pacific-influenced canopies in Auckland's Otara Town Centre and the Marae-style concept of the Mason Clinic. The book has been published by Massey University Press and it's been a major undertaking for the editors Jade, Jade Kake and Jeremy Hansen and they've worked closely with Rewi's daughter, Lucy Thompson. And we're really privileged to have all three join us together on Culture 101 today. Tēnā koutou katoa. Kia ora. Kia ora, mate. Kia ora. Lovely to hear, have you all here. Um, Jade, um, I'd like to start with you and ask how this book all came together in the first place. Right. Um, so Jeremy and I are friends, and I think we had a really loose idea about four, a bit over four years ago, which was essentially we both had some interactions with Rewi. We were aware of his kind of impact in his work, and we really just thought somebody should write something about him and his work, and maybe it could be us. <laughs> and that's really where it started with that conversation. We, we, how did you get to know him, Jade? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. So I, I grew up in Australia and I went to architecture school there, my first um, undergraduate degree at the University of Queensland. And actually, um, I must have had no money or didn't get invited, but one of my architecture school classmates went on a trip with students from University of Queensland and came back raving about meeting this architect, this Māori architect, Rewi Thompson. He's like, you really need to go and meet him. And it was only um, a few years later when I had moved home um, that I was privileged to meet Rewi um, because I had a connection with Karen Wilson and Rai Hoskins and others who were kind of leaders in that space. And it was just through them and that network that I met Rewi for the first time, um, but being well aware of his reputation and his standing. Mm. And Jeremy, you, you, you had met Rewi as well, hadn't you? Yeah, I was the editor of a magazine called Home for about 11 years, starting in 2005. And I sort of stalked Rewi because his own house in Koimarama is very famous. And yes, it had we'll been, get to that. <laughs> it had been on a list of the 50 best homes in New Zealand before I started editing Home magazine. And so I just called him up um, and said, you know, could we photograph the interior of your place and, and talk about that a little bit? And he said he still had some work to do on the house, um, <laughs> but we met and uh, I published another house of his instead in Newmarket. And that um, began, I used to see Rewi over the years reasonably regularly at architecture functions and things like that. I always really enjoyed his company and I was also conscious that um, the way his career worked with this combination of designing buildings and then latterly being more of a teacher, um, it meant it didn't kind of lend itself to the normal structure of an architecture book, which is kind of photographs of a project, then a bit of text about that project. Um, but something about the way he used to talk about architecture and about the buildings and the structures he did create sort of stuck with me. So when Jade and I started talking about it, um, it seemed really logical to try and frame his contribution through a book and um, to celebrate that and to bring his work to a wider audience if possible. That's wonderful. Lucy, um, kia ora. Um, it's, been, it's been seven years since your, your dad passed, I think. Um, I'm interested in how this experience of the book being created has been for you as a sort of, I guess, a process of coming to terms with that. Yes, definitely. Um, 
I have to say that the book and the journey that I have been on with Jade and Jeremy uh, for the last four or so years um, has definitely helped with my grieving process, learning more um, about parts of Dad's personality and his work, projects I didn't even know existed, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of wonderful things. So um, it's been emotional at times, but it has been wonderful uh, and there are Things that I've discovered, um, many things I've discovered out what, of yeah. through the project. What's what's your role been in the book then? Um, have you been digging things out of the the, the family archive, as it were? Absolutely. Uh, there were <laughs> one or two or dozen trips to uh, my storage unit where I have a lot of Dad's uh, drawing books and some of his work I've archives still, along with sort of photos and things like that. So. That part of the process was quite good, um, going there, spending some time, going through boxes, sending some photos to Jade and Jeremy. Oh, look what I found here. Is this what you're after? I'm not sure what way around it goes, but um, no, it's been awesome. And um, yes, it's better at all out being in the world in the book than sitting in a box in a storage unit in Auckland. Uh, well, Jade and Jeremy, I don't know who's best to answer this question, but it seems looking at the pink, the bright pink that is a feature of the beautiful design of this book, Riwi's work's always stood out. I see there's a recollection of a student project early on where students were asked to design a batch for like a bush-clad hillside, and Riwi's was bright pink, is that right? Yeah, and um, it's actually really fascinating because we did we did 35 interviews for the book. I, I counted them. And That's actually, quite a lot. <laughs> and repeatedly this motif came up. And, ah. you know, these are all real stories, but people were saying, oh, yes, do you know about the pink highlighter? And then they would tell another story, and it wasn't always the same one. It was different events and different experiences. And I think what really stood out for me is right from his early student days, he wasn't You know, his classmates might be showing up with their beautiful kind of felt pens and, you know, everything that's as it's supposed to be. And he's showing up with, you know, pink highlighters and wearing (laughs) jandals and, you know, not not being worried about having to fit into this box of what an architect is and should be. And really, if you're a creative thinker, if you have that ability, which today we absolutely did, it doesn't really matter what medium you use. And so I think that really stood out for me and and came through really strongly. Lucy, do you feel like the book kind of gets a bit of the character of your dad then? Oh, absolutely. Um, lots of layers and the colour, colour for sure. He wasn't afraid of it. <laughs> well, I'd like to ask about the title, and Jeremy, maybe you could answer this. Riwi Atahare Kiatere. Where does, where does this come from? What is the meaning of the, of I, the title? I think Jade is our fluent te reo Māori speaker. Is <laughs> there a place to answer okay. this one? Yeah, so um, I did choose the subtitle, actually. I, I would say that the, the title there, we really came from our designer, Tyrone Ohia, and then we all quickly agreed where we thought, you know what, his name is so iconic, you can just say there we like, you know, like Madonna or Beyonce or the other, and <laughs> yes, there you have it. Yes, yes, um, it's gorgeous. But we had this idea of having, you know, a little um, subtitle, and why I chose um, Atahaere Kiatere is because so many of the stories that people shared were around Ewi working really, really slowly. Sometimes he's just listening, his eyes are shut, that people say, oh, was he asleep? And then he'd rustle to life and he'd draw <laughs> something or say something really profound. And the other stories that connected with that were hearing about his design process where it seemed like he was just investigating, listening, investigating, nothing was getting done. And then suddenly he'd do this flurry of work and show up with a completed scheme or a model of this amazing set of drawings. And so this idea of moving cautiously and slowly to be then be able to go fast, I think really characterised his approach. And I thought it was just a really nice way to encapsulate that in the title. Well, Jeremy, maybe you could tell us a little bit then about 
uh, Riwi's career because it, it it started off pretty pretty uh, pretty good, didn't it? Yeah, it started off, well, interestingly, he worked as a structural engineer in Wellington first. That was his first qualification. Then he went to architecture school. And um, he graduated from architecture school with um, a theoretical project called Vangati Pōneke Maraya that's in an exhibition we've got at Object Space at the moment and is also um, in the book of this dramatic waka form kind of dragged out of Wellington Harbour and leaning on the side of Mount Victoria. Yes, it's quite won, spectacular. Yeah, yes. it's incredible. And it won the Monia Design Award at the time and gained be quite a lot of media attention. And a slew of really important projects followed that. He designed 20 state houses in Witte, um, the canopies at the Ōtara Town Centre. He worked on the City Sea Bridge with John Gray, Paratini match at Nathfield Architects um, and also Capital Discovery Place Te Ahoa Maui that is beneath the Children's Museum that used to be beneath the City to Sea Bridge. He also worked with um, Ian Athfield and Frank Geary on a proposal for the Tapapa competition that was being mm. held. Um, so it was this kind of, uh, when we went back and we started putting these in sequence, it's kind of incredible that how much work he did in this period um, and also how um, fresh and original each of those projects were. Um, nothing, it's really hard to pin Riwi down to a signature style. It's incredibly varied and I think that's because he was responding to the the characteristics of each site and each um, and developing narratives around that um, specifically for each place. So um, it's kind of difficult in some ways to look at a building and say that's a Riwi Thompson structure because um, there's a great variety of them. Yeah, uh, you, you say that he kind of expanded the possibilities of what architecture could be, and it feels like that when when I, I look at that, there are a lot of qualities to his work that are, are really distinctive that aren't necessarily you know just really overt in the way say a Frank Gehry building is. The the work is quite collaborative. There's you know mm. you talk about a lot of listening and attunement to the landscape. There's a, and there's a lot of sort of complexity that's in the way he operates with space, maybe. Yeah, and there's also, I think, what he was really good at and what a lot of our interviewees told us, because a lot of them knew him, of course, much better than we did, um, just talked about the attention that he would play to place, but also how, um, you know, and it was normally regarded, Māori narratives were normally regarded as being part of the natural world or part of history, and he showed that there was this kind of futuristic way in which they could apply it and also that they could be applied to urban settings. And it's not like he had kind of written down design principles or anything. And that was one of the lovely things about doing the book is that um, it's really difficult to summarize the meaning of a lot of his works. And he kind of spoke like that too. Often what he was talking about would sort of just feel a little bit elusive or gossamer-like as you were discussing things with him. And it was part of his profundity, but also I think that profundity is reflected in a lot of his designs. There's, there's a beautiful quote from Amihi um, for the Future Islands um, Venice show, uh, I think at the time when he, he was preparing for when he passed, I think, uh, in, in the book. And I'll read a little bit of it um, because it seems to express some of this. We battle, strive and live to tame this great fish that Maui caught. Our youthfulness allows us to be playful, energetic, lively, enthusiastic, experimental and not overburdened by the weight of our past. And he goes on, but it's just such a beautiful... I don't know, just a beautiful encapsulation of a sort of a spirit of this country. I don't We're know, Jade. Each other, sorry. <laughs> Jade, um, I, I, maybe this is a, a, where we can talk about this notion of Māori architecture being bound up with Riwi's work, but how he kind of resisted anything being too, too, too captured. Yeah, it's an interesting question that we tried to thoughtfully grapple with as we work through the book. Um, because what I kind of learnt 
through this process is that, you know, Whatewi was practising or he started practising pre-Māori Renaissance and he was operating an industry that was and still is entirely Pākehā dominated. Yeah. There's so few Māori now and there was even less when he was there. He was one of the few and being this visibly Māori man in this very Pākehā space, you know, I think that changes the way that you carry yourself and the way you operate and also society was a cer- at a certain point. You know, obviously we had the generation before him, and that was you know, like my grandparents' generation, our grandparents' generation, that was, you know, beaten for speaking to real. And then, you know, the urban urbanisation happened and the next generation were really encouraged to set those things aside and prepare to live in this new world. And then suddenly we had the Māori Renaissance and that's all changed. And that's, you get whiplash. I look at our parents' generation, <laughs> you get whiplash from that amount of change. Yeah. And so now we get to be, you know, proud to be Māori and live as Māori and speak our real and this and that and... But, you know, for the, our generation, we didn't live through that mm. immense period of change that they did. And so I guess to bring it back to Rewi, you know, he's coming from this point being this visibly Māori man working in this completely Pākehā-dominated industry and, you know, trying to demonstrate that he's an architect and he has got the right skills at a time when if you're a Māori anything, that was seen as lesser or as less than. And he really held his own in that space and he has so many Pākehā colleagues that absolutely love and respect him. But I think that was actually hard won and I don't know if that's fair of me to say, but that's my impression. And then as he went through, you know, the world changed and suddenly you actually could do these things as Māori and operate as Māori. And so he went on a journey throughout his life and something that Mike Barnes said in the book, and, and Mike was a good friend of Rewi's, knew him from when they were quite young and they worked together a fair bit as well, said, you know, Rewi came to his Māoriness through his architecture and on his own terms and in his own time. And I think that's absolutely true. And so by the time he got to the point where he was, you know, later on in his career, he was an educator, he was doing all these amazing things, he was standing really, you know, to Maya, hey Māori, because mm. the world had changed, because he was able to, to stand and operate in that way. And the last thing I want to say on that is that for us, the next generation, we're the beneficiaries of the work that he did and the way he, the journey that he went on as society was changing. And so we don't have to grapple with these things. We can just practice as Māori. We can do all these overtly Māori things and get paid properly for them. And yes, sure, there's still issues, but we mm. really make it to him and the foundation that he's laid down for us. Well, kia ora, Jade, because there is some extraordinary work going on in Māori architecture. You know, it's great to hear you articulate the fact that the the profession is still very Pākehā. But, you know, there is some amazing work going on, and it feels like this book is just an inspiration for for what's going on, yeah? Yeah, I would say Rewi was um, amongst the first Māori architects that I even heard about. So I grew up, you know, not knowing any professionals who were Māori, and it was really hearing from my classmate about Rewi and then also about, from my auntie about Ro Hoskins. Those were the first two that I ever heard about. And so we had a handful of role models, and this wasn't even that long ago. And so, um, you know, when you look outside of the architecture industry, not many people know about Rewi. And I think, you know, now that he's passed, maybe a lot of the young students coming through don't necessarily know about him either. So I think this book will be a real beacon of hope and a source of support for those young Māori that are coming through because, you know, Māori are less than 3% of registered architects and actually the Mm. numbers of um, Māori students enrolled in architecture school is declining and it's of real concern. Um, But there is a beacon of hope in the fact that you're right, there's absolutely amazing things happening and I think that, you know, where we are in terms of our culture as a nation and where we are kind of politically progressively around Te Tiriti or Waitangi and so on, We're developing this amazing architectural culture and this visual culture that is really grounded in these two cultures that, you know, uh, and and, and others that have joined us here. So I think, you know, we're at an exciting moment. And I think if you look, you know, at what is architectural, our architectural identity is Aotearoa, you know, we're really starting to define that. And Rewi is one of those foundational figures that have been a part of where we're getting to now. 
I'm talking to Jade Kake, Jeremy Hansen, and Lucy Thompson about their book uh, around the architect Ruby Thompson. Lucy, as the daughter growing up, architects' houses architects' houses are, are never finished. It's it's, it's an often common said thing. <laughs> uh, this this was a house that sounds like it was never finished either. Could you maybe describe describe the house you grew up in because uh, it's quite unusual and how that was? Sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> growing up, I guess you know I sort of only have memories of living in that house. That's how young I was when dad, mum built it and we moved in as a family. Um, Growing up and it was wonderful. Um, I was allowed to draw on the walls because they didn't get painted for a number of years. Um, We had big, beautiful Puhutakawa trees growing on our section over the house. I was allowed to climb them. Um, It was a big open space and it was was our home. Um, But no, you're right. It didn't ever quite get completed while we were there. It sort of faced the bush, didn't it? So it didn't face the the road. From the road, it's sort of like a stepped, almost like a Mayan temple or a Potama design, is it? The the, the concrete. And then it sort of faces quite radically away from the street. That's right. But on the other side, once you got into the house, it was all glass. So oh. you'd stand up stairs on the top level and you'd have um, the big void above and it was floor to ceiling glass. And so wow. you'd be up in the trees pretty much looking out. Um, I used to describe it as being in a terrarium but from the other side, you know, oh, like wow, a forest yeah. aquarium. Um, but. <laughs> The trees were looking in as opposed to the other way. So, no, it was pretty special, pretty spectacular. And, Jeremy, you said you, you never got to go with Rewi before. Um, the, the, the house has now been sold, but I, I believe it's been looked after well. Is that right? Yeah, it's been rebuilt by new owners. We ah. haven't met them. They didn't want to play a part in the book, which is fine. Um, but the house, um, yeah, has been rebuilt and they're living there as far as we know. Yeah. Um, can I take us back, Jeremy, to the to the nineteen eighties um, and the Tapapa submission? This is a really quite special thing. It feels like this book is full of ideas that weren't quite realised, but this was quite a remarkable one. Where Frank Gehry, just before the Bilbao Guggenheim, I think, um, uh, put in a, a submission with Riwi and Ian Athfield, right, to to, to design Tapapa, but it never happened. Yeah, I love the saga so much. It's um, because it contains so many different elements, but um, as Ian Athfield and Riwi were working together on the City to Sea Bridge in Wellington. The competition to design um, Te Papa was opened and architecture firms from all over New Zealand um, gathered collaborators from around the world to, to do their entries. And so Ath and Riwi flew to Santa Monica to work with Frank Gehry for about a week coming up with this beautiful scheme which... Um, has a number of kind of boxy structures under the uniting gesture reaching into the harbour of a translucent feather. Um, It didn't make the final five in the scheme, which when you look at the models and the drawings now kind of seems a tragedy because it's such a beautiful thing. But there are a couple of reasons why that seems to have been the case. One is that part of the brief was that, and it seems incredible to even contemplate this now, um, part of the brief was that um, the V8 racetrack around the Wellington waterfront (laughs) be maintained and they ignored that aspect of the brief and the, their project was to reclaim land from the harbour and to push the, the new building out into it. And the other was that um, there was some conjecture on the judging panel at the time that this upturned feather represented bad luck to some iwi. We haven't been able to find anyone to corroborate, not that story, but that um, the feather is bad luck. Uh, but in a way that kind of scuppered the chances of that scheme because um, it was regarded as something that potentially would be mm. a no-no. Um, in Māori culture. 
Jade, what were your thoughts on that? Because it's interesting. So the idea that one couldn't be underneath the feather, I think, was part of it that I, I read in the book. Yeah, it's it's not something I've heard before, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be a tikanga or a whakaro from a particular iwi. So I couldn't say. It's not something I'd mm. heard before this, and it still seems to have the, um, you know, the, the attributes of a rumour, and we've never been able to quite nail it down. Um, mm. But that's what we heard was was part of the kind of issue. The, the book is full of drawings and ideas to be realised, which is really inspiring. Um, they're all sort of gorgeously kind of speculative. And Jade, what, have you got any favourites particularly there? Oh, so many. And I think it's probably because of all the dinosaurs in them. Um, so there's, there's quite <laughs> a few drawings that have dinosaurs that are used for scale, um, like T-Rex. <laughs> and it's actually just astounding. <laughs> um, yeah, and a lot of um, schemes that kind of grapple with this idea of the city water, city Moana Edge which I think is really compelling. Um, I don't know if you ever would have described in this way, but I've I've come to think of Rewi as a Māori futurist. Um, oh. And I think, actually, I mean, as much as I, I love the, his practical kind of built work and he's got some really compelling stuff that's been so influential, I'm actually probably most drawn to his speculative work and the things that have never been built and could never be built. Um, and so that's what we ended up focusing on. Um, at the moment, there's an exhibition, as Jeremy mentioned, at Object Space in Tamaki Makoto, and we really just focused on those speculative aspects because I think they kind of encourage us to think of a like more hopeful, exciting, interesting future, maybe a decolonial future. And I think you know mm. it really opens up, up up the possibilities. Besides just being kind of visually stunning and really wonderful pieces of work to engage with. Um, Lucy, I wanted to finish by acknowledging your mother, Leona. I mean, it sounds to me like um, she she struggled for some time, with, I think, with cancer and passed away bef- before your dad. And mm-hmm. it sounds like their partnership was probably a quite important part of, of all of this. Yes, uh, definitely. Um, they, were, they were a team. And um, dad, sadly, was never really the same after... We lost mum, um, which is coming up to about 22, 23 years ago now. So, um, yeah, they mum always supported dad in his career, but then also likewise dad supported mum and her health. So, mm. yeah, I think um, in the end he just dearly missed her. And, you know, it's nice, just comforting thought for me that they're up there together having a nice time and <laughs> yes. probably living in... On a, in a big house with a T Rex in the backyard or something like that, big bridges. A pink, a pink house, no doubt. A pink house in the bush. That's dead right. So, yes, no, but they were a team. He loved oh. her dearly. So, yes. Well, thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Jade. Jeremy, there is also an exhibition at Object Space. Maybe we could end with you just uh, telling us a tiny bit about that before we finish. Yeah, well, one of the great things Lucy did um, after Dewey passed was she donated his archives to the Architecture Archive at the University of Auckland. And Jade and I spent a lot of time there, and um, it was so exciting finding some of these drawings, as Jade said, that kind of exist in the speculative realm where, you know, there's prismatic buildings on water with dinosaurs inside. There's these enormous sort of totemic bridge structures. Uh, there are big coiled forms sitting in the Waitamata Harbour near Rangitoto. And we know very little about why Rewi made these, but we loved the way that he felt as comfortable in the imaginative world as he did um, in the world of, you know, pragmatics of getting buildings to stand up. So that's what we chose to celebrate in the exhibition at Object Space, which is on until, I think, November the 19th. 19th. Wonderful. Well, thank you to all three of you. Thanks for joining us here on Culture 101 and congratulations on this wonderful book. Rewi, atahare, kia tere, kia ora.